You know what you want. Football. And not just a game or two. All of them. But you can't get DirecTV where you live. No problem. Stream 2019 NFL Sunday ticket on your favorite devices, no satellite required, and get every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon. Go to NFLSundayTicket.tv right now to see if you are eligible. Use promo code BRINGER at checkout to save 15%. We've all made some bad choices in life. I know I have. I was wearing jeans today in Jacksonville. It's 87 degrees and the heat index is like 100 at 70% humidity. It was a terrible decision and I really regretted it. But this isn't about me. It's about you. Don't make where you play fantasy football a bad life decision. Play Yahoo Fantasy Football. Yahoo offers up free expert advice that's the best player experience and they'll never delete your league history like other apps will. Yahoo also has all kinds of fantasy games like the new best ball, just draft and you're done. No trades, no waivers, no drama, all season. Yahoo is the number one rated app by the FSGA. Make better choices. Choose Yahoo Fantasy Football. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I am doing great back in Los Angeles. Enjoying. I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. If you go look on the iPhone weather app right now, there is the thunderstorm symbol every single day for the next week. Well, um, but those last five minutes. Five minutes. I was sitting, I was in a, at a restaurant working and having lunch earlier today. And it was a very bright, modern restaurant. I actually saw Zach Berman in there, which is very funny. He was picking up food because the Eagles writers are in Jacksonville right now. But I turned around at one point to take a phone call and it was just black outside. It was sunny when I walked into the restaurant. So, I just I I don't understand the concept of Florida. I really don't. So let's unpack that because I I understand the concept of Florida. The first football game I ever went to was a Florida Kentucky game in ninety two ninety three something around Good there, Lord. and I was like four years old, five years old, and ninety three five, and a thunderstorm came. And there may have been a weather delay, but a thunderstorm came. We were in the upper 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 deck. And a thunderstorm came over, and you could actually just see the cloud. And we were almost, like, in the cloud because we were so high. And then you could just see the thunderstorm completely, like, move away from the stadium. And it all happened within, like, a minute and a half. And that it's is remarkable. that is when I understood how this works. So I understood football and Florida thunderstorms at the exact same time. It's 70% humidity right now in Jacksonville. I walked outside. I walked out of my car when I parked my car earlier mm-hmm. this morning. And immediately, my, fo- my sunglasses fogged up so much that I couldn't see. I just, I don't understand this life. I have a lot of respect for the people who continue to live here in the summer months. I really do. <laughs> it's, I, the way that people feel about winter in places like Chicago is how I feel about summer in places like Phoenix and Jacksonville. It's like, I just don't understand. I'd rather be cold for three months of the year than the, deal with this. My my issue with Chicago is that the months it's nice are so, like, it's like three months, two and a half months. Like, it's really... It's what you consider nice. Okay, well, I mean, I was I there for the, the draft a couple of years ago, and it wasn't nice. And that was like uh, yeah. basically May. Let's yeah, get the show on the road. Late April, it's kind of drifted into late April these days, which is not that fun. All right, we're going to move on from some weather talk. On today's show, we're going to dig into some of our training camp tidbits first. After that, we've been doing some stuff this week. It's Wunderkin week. I've been doing a series on you know the new offensive play callers in the league. If you haven't read those on the ringer.com, please go check them out. I've mm-hmm. done one on the Packers. I've done one on 
the Cowboys, that's today, and then I've also done one on the Cardinals along with a bigger look at just kind of the McVeighification of the league. So with that in mind and with that kind of at the forefront of what the site has been this week, you and I are going to kind of create our ideal offenses. We're going to, whether it's the play caller, the scheme, some of the young quarterbacks that we have around, we're going to kind of build our offense, both in terms of personnel and in terms of who's running it. Mm -hmm. Before we do that, though, let's just knock out these training camp tidbits from the places that we've been. I am going to go knock uh, just a couple like lightning round from me because I've been to more places since we last recorded. Mm -hmm. I, I started in Carolina and I had a chat with uh, Norv Turner when I was there, which was fun. I was really interested just in kind of the ways that a 65-year-old head coach develops a modern offense mm-hmm. because that's exactly what they have done. And apparently, I mean, it's they really do have the same language and the same structure that Norv Turner has always had and that Coriel pushed right. the ball down the field system. They've just kind of filtered – it more through their smaller, quicker receivers, and it's led to a lot of college concepts coming up, everything else. But you know, he's been really open. Uh, I talked to a couple of his assistants just about those things and how they mesh with what he's always done. And I think yeah. that's really impressive. You know, we talk about that as it relates to Andy Reid all the time, but I don't think we thought Norv Turner had that capacity at this point in his career. And to see that is really cool. The other thing that I was kind of thinking about there was the secondary depth. We talked about this when we were discussing their overall potential and how the Trey Boston signing fit in. I was talking to a couple of the beat writers there um, who I've known for a while, and the conversation was kind of split between them, whether Boston would start and everything else. They like Ross Cockrell at one of those other safety spots just because Rivera at safety is always valued consistency and just reliability more than talent. You know, you think about all the older kind of aging guys that have played that spot for them. It's more about not fucking up than it is about being some spectacular talent. So I'll be curious to see how that shakes out, but I do believe they have a lot of options there, which again, the Boston signing gets you. I went to Atlanta yeah. next. I, oh, wait, I, uh, can I talk about Carolina? Sure. I went to Carolina. Yeah. Um, so I think the North thing is really interesting. We, we've talked about this last year a little bit, but one of the things that Norv... Now, I, I would say he's one of these guys where what he's always done has dovetailed with the way the game's developed. And what I mean by that is he likes, you know, he, he presses the seams. He can go over the middle of the field. That's, you know, the part of Alvin Harper. Part of that Cowboys offense in the early 90s was not only having the outside guys, but the inside guys um, throwing to the running back. Well, it's mostly Jay Novacek more than Alvin Harper. I mean, Alvin Harper and... Michael Irvin, that was like straight outside the numbers, deep ball receivers. That's well, what that no, but they had, the, they had the the key was a post route over the middle. Was that Novacek? I think they had a receiver in there. It yeah, that's matter. probably true. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. I'm, we're talking the about 1992 is, schemes, no, right? right. But, the, but the point of the nine eight nine is is that there's a there's there's pressing the seams, and so anyway, um, you know, I talked to Darren Sproles a couple weeks ago, and and Darren Sproles' dad, and they said Norv Turner invented the Darren Sproles role when he was there uh, in San Diego, obviously, and that Marty Schottenheimer was just going to keep keep Darren Sproles on special teams. He was th- There was no foresight from someone like Marty Schottenheimer. It was all coming from Norv Turner on how to develop a Darren Sproles role. The Darren Sproles role, although principally filled by Darren Sproles, is pretty popular around the league as far as a guy who can catch out of the backfield, you know, dominate in space. That has grown, and that was all Norv 12 years ago. Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, again, I think that what happened with Minnesota and kind of the way that ended probably colored my opinion of whether or not he should and 
could be a play caller in the modern NFL, and he's done an amazing job. And I think that offense is fun, and I cannot wait to watch them at full strength because it does seem like everybody's healthy. You know, Cam, they said there's a little bit off the fastball, and that's obvious, but for the most part, even if he's functional as Cam Newton light, I still think they have a chance to be really, really good. I agree. There's a lot of roster talent there. I, I think that, the you know, obviously their health is, and we did this a couple episodes ago, I'm not going to relitigate it, but it's just health for them. It's just health. And if they're healthy, yeah. they have got a lot more roster talent than we give them credit for. I'm with you. So I went to Atlanta next, and I, I talked to Thomas Dimitrov for a minute, and I really wanted to ask him this because this is something we talked about kind of around the draft. And, you know, they threw so many resources at the offensive line. You know, even mm-hmm. after signing Jamon Brown and James Carpenter to, you know, theoretically be their starting guards, I mean, they made a decent amount of money. You know, Ty Sambrilo also making like five and a half million. We've discussed this on this show. I mean, it's yeah. he's going to be your swing tackle now for five and a half million if McGarry can play. And it just seems like so much to throw into that area. And he told me that even after they signed those guys in free agency, that he informed Arthur Blank that it, that didn't wasn't going to stop them from getting at least one, probably two, offensive linemen in the first two rounds. And I think part of the thinking behind that is they understand what their window is in Atlanta, and they understand that this is probably their best chance over the next couple of years just in terms of how much overall talent they can bring to the roster without having to hit in the draft. You know, we've talked about this in regard to the mm-hmm. Saints all the time. You absolutely can get better, if, but you need to thread a needle. That's not always easy to thread. And they have a lot of guys now that are cheaper than they're going to be next season, whether that's Deion Jones, Keanu O'Neal, you know, pretty much all of those defensive players. Guys like Devontae Campbell and Austin Hooper are free agents. They're probably not going to have the mm-hmm. money to bring Austin Hooper back. So they really need to get the most out of this year. And I think they saw, they stared into what it was like to have an injured offensive line last season and how hard it is to function at times when you're destroyed up front. I think there are two areas of your roster where – the drop-off between the starter and the backup can make your offense cease to function. And those two areas are quarterback and offensive line. And I think that the way they built this offseason, the way they used their resources, was completely about having a contingency plan for ensuring that no matter what happened and no matter how hurt they got outside of Matt Ryan, they could still have a high-level offense because they know they need to. I have a problem in so much that I like all three of the good teams in the AFC, in the NFC South. I, I said the other day, I think it's the best cover, the best division in the league. It's tough, man. Mm. I mean, that is going to be a slog for those teams. I honestly think I like the Saints the worst. Of and, and those that's, three. I don't, yeah, not, I'm not, not saying I, we're eliminating the Bucks. Yeah, of those three. And, and when I say that, I think I mean in re- relatively to how other people view them. You know, I think other people are kind of penciling the Saints in for 11 wins. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Saints were a nine and seven team this year. I just think with the Breeze question you know, everything else, I feel like if they fell off a tiny bit, it wouldn't shock me. And I like Atlanta and Carolina more than other people do, I think. But I do think that, I mean, it's going to be a gauntlet. That entire season is going to be rough for all three of those teams. And Tampa Bay is not just an easy out, man. I was there yesterday, and I just think their offense is going to be really explosive. And bringing Bruce Arians in there and with that staff and just having – some really accomplished, solid football coaches across their staff now, I think is important. I mean, I watched Mike Evans just roast Xavier Howard for a 50-yard gain yesterday. And I I really do feel like that offense really fits what Jameis does well. I think they're going to be fun to watch. Yeah, uh, maybe they'll be fun to watch. 
I just don't. I don't think they're gonna be very good. I I don't know. I I think they're gonna be better than people think. I don't know how good that is because their talent on defense just still worries me. I mean, mm-hmm. I was having a discussion with someone there about this. The worst thing you can do as you're building an NFL team is spend a lot of resources on one positional group and still have that positional group be bad. And that's what's <laughs> happened with the Bucks secondary and like the the, uh, the Bengals offensive line is like that. Like that's just the most devastating thing to happen when it's like, all right, we're going to spend a couple, you know, four second round picks in this area. And then none of those second round picks pan out. That's how you get really bad really fast. I'm not, I, it's too early to say, but I will say the Texans offensive line might be in that zone. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very good, it's perfect thing to throw out there. One in tiny, the like, they're, 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 they're on the watch list for <laughs> throwing a first round pick and resources at a line and not, not having it improve. Uh, the other thing, I, there's just kind of cool play design thing. They were, the Bucks were in the red zone, probably about the 20 yard line, and they motioned Andre Ellington out into an empty formation and had him stacked with Mike Evans. And mm-hmm. I just love that in the red zone. The Saints have done that really well over the years where, you know, they're this 21 personnel heavy team and from between the 20s. And when you think that when conventional wisdom says you want to get heavier as you get toward the goal line, they spread it out. And I just want to see more teams do that because as the field shrinks vertically, it makes way more sense to stretch defenses horizontally because you're using all of the space available to you and watching a team like you know, Tampa Bay do that. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like with your personnel, that makes total sense. So that's just a small little thing. All right. More tidbits. That's all I got, man. It's just those three teams. I'm in, I'm in Jacksonville right now and I will, uh, I'll be going to practice on Saturday. I'll be going to the game tonight. Preseason football. I I wasn't there. They didn't practice today. We'll wait your updates on. Yeah. I'll I'll have that for you next time we record on Tuesday on the vibe. All right, so I went to Green Bay. That's the only place Kansas. I, I recorded from Kansas City last time, so I updated everybody on what Kansas City looked like and, and Minnesota the day before. The only place I've been is is Green Bay, and then I I flew back to the West Coast. Um, pretty much exactly what we talked about. Um, you know, I I actually am, Matt Lafleur is a different guy than. I, the guy I spoke to three years ago at the Super Bowl, which happens a lot when a guy becomes a head coach. Yeah, uh, in a I good agree way. With you. In a good way. In a good way. When he was quarterbacks coach in Atlanta under Kyle Shanahan, um, he just a lot of assistant coaches tend to, um, I wouldn't say overthink, but they tend to be a little quieter because they're worried not only what their coordinator thinks, but head coach thinks, GM, all that. And it was really interesting to sit down with him in his golf cart. He still has his golf cart. He, he, he drove me to the middle of the field <laughs> in the golf cart and then dropped me back off on the sideline in the golf cart. And it was really cool to talk to him and really just talk football with him. And I, I really, really enjoyed our talk. Um, one of my, one of the, the best football conversations um, that, that I've had, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, the sort of what we talked about what I wrote a piece on this week, which was the veterans thing. And, you know, his, he just really likes smart players and that offense in the Packers, there's a lot of second contract guys. Now, obviously Aaron Rodgers is not on a second contract. He's on his fourth contract. That makes sense. Something like that. Yeah, Probably around that. Jim, Jimmy Graham, veteran, uh, offensive line, Brian Balaga getting a rest day, veterans everywhere. Now there's Devontae Adams, veteran, 
Now, there's a couple things baked in. Number one is the the, the smartness, uh, and and they really do mine for that. But the other thing is how important load management is for them. That's something I've really taken into account, and teams like that have taken into account this camp, is just how important it is. Brian Belaga didn't practice the day I was there. Um, there's just going to be some days where some of these veteran guys just 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 have, you know, the, the GPS reads um, just say, hey, this guy's got to sit out. And so I think that one of the more overlooked parts of the McVay tree is how much rest these guys are going to get. Because I was Sean say the exact McVay same has thing. Basi- yeah. Sean McVay has basically figured out how to rest their guys. And so whether yep. that's in LA, whether that's in Cincinnati, whether that's in Green Bay, I have seen more emphasis on player rest there than in those places than I have most places and certainly more than any team, you know, two, three, four years ago. One of the secrets to the success the Rams have had the last couple of years is just how healthy they've stayed over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. And that actually goes back to the Jeff Fisher era. If you look at... Oh, yeah. Jeff Fisher, innovative, sports science innovator, baby. I just think that for the most part, their medical team is very good. I mean, it's yeah. for the most... You know, usually injuries are not sticky. Or they bounce up and down every year. You know, the team at the top of the league and adjusted games lost, it's usually going to kind of come back to the middle. But with the Rams, they've been up there at the top mm-hmm. of the league for the last three seasons, essentially, since they moved to Los Angeles. They have been one of the healthiest teams in the league. And I think that the rest part of it is definitely a, a factor. I mean, there's no denying that. I'm writing a piece on this. It'll be up by, the, I don't know, the end of the month. I don't know. But it, it's it's really interesting to see. I will say the one funny thing is that LaFleur told me they were going to go like an hour and 38 the day I was out there because we talked before practice and then they just ended up going like two hours or more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so sometimes the football part of it overrides the overrides the um, the rest angle, but typically they're they're sticking to the schedule and I really like Matt LaFleur. Do you want to talk about the Matt LaFleur Aaron Rodgers thing that I wrote about earlier this week? Yeah, that was, that was the seg. So... I wrote, that was the first story of my play calling series and just kind of about, I had a conversation with both of them just about their relationship and the interplay of how much authority Rogers is going to get at the line, how much everything else. So I, I wanted to ask Matt Ryan about this because Matt Ryan was in his eighth season when Matt LaFleur came in as the quarterback's coach of the Falcons with this mm-hmm. offense. And Matt Ryan is somebody that I, I've talked to him about this before. He had some growing pains with Kyle Shanahan early on based on some of the stuff Kyle was asking him. And one of the things specifically was turning his back to the defense with using play action. Matt Ryan did not like doing that. He just felt like you're scrambling. You're not gathering information as you do that. You can't really use your brain and you're really having to trust the offense. Mm -hmm. And I think that is part of the process here with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur is that taking some stuff off of Aaron's plate and having him really forcing him to have more faith in the scheme and less faith in his own ability to be in control. And that's the difficult part here is that this scheme, if you go lean fully into it and you believe in it, the plays are going to be there. Kirk, I was just writing about this today in regard to Kirk Cousins because he loves it. And he doesn't even, he told me he loves turning his back to the defense because for a variety of reasons, I'm writing about that early next week. But it'll if you just kind of fully immerse yourself and say, I believe this structure will work, it's usually going to work. We've seen it 
have massive success all over the NFL at every single in every single iteration of it for a decade, going back to Gary Kubiak's teams in like 2008 and 2009. And I think that's the challenge for Aaron Rodgers is can he just let go a little bit and really start to just trust in what this offense can bring you if you allow it to? I think Mm -hmm. the answer is yes. I think it's a constant dialogue. The other thing Matt Ryan told me is that the difference between the audibles in this system and other systems is that for the most part in some other systems, you get one play call in the, in the huddle and you can change that play call to whatever you think is works best, which is essentially what Aaron Rodgers has done in the past. With this mm-hmm. offense, you're getting two or three play calls and you have to change based on the look, but you're picking from a limited menu. So that's where the actual kind of limitations on the audibling comes. But it's not as if Aaron Rodgers is forced to take the play that was called in the huddle and only call that. That's not what it means. I think that relationship, and I don't, I, I, I don't really care about the, you know, Aaron Rodgers came out a little bit about the clickbait stuff or, or whatever. I don't really care about that. I was that. wondering if that was in relation to my story because that it ran that day. Mm, well, I mean, you know, Peter King wrote that on Monday as well, so I think there was a there was a, a groundswell. It's very possible. Um, Mine was not clickbaity. I really did not like play up the fact that they were having this. Wait, no, 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 no. I don't. I don't think he. I don't think. I, whoa, whoa! I don't think he was—he was talking about you having click being clickbait. Oh, I—I I don't think so either. But I was worried for a second when I saw that that had happened. I, I, don't, like, I don't. Oh man, I tried to be like pretty I fair about think, all this. I think I think he was referencing the stuff that happened before the last couple so of weeks because a lot, you know, whether that's Peter, whether that's yourself, uh, a couple other folks. Um, you, you, that story has gone back to OTAs where uh, maybe it was vaguely clickbaity, but how he operates in that offense is—is is a maybe a top 10 storyline for me. Um, I'm really, really intrigued to see it. I'm glad you you dug into that. Um, it's it's one of the things I'll be watching uh, week one for sure. Um, you know, I, I sat down with him. You know, he just seems pretty comfortable. Um, yeah, I yeah, feel I'm, like I, I did the exact same thing. He seemed really calm. And, you know, some... You know, I, I don't want to be the body language doctor. I don't want to be... Uh, the vibe guy because a lot of times there's a lot of crappy players who have great vibes and are very calm and have great body language but I just I feel like he is uh, at the moment uh, having a very peaceful training camp I felt the exact same way I, that's the same kind of vibe that I was picking up and I think it's going to work I think that I've seen him execute these types of plays early in his career and I was asking him about a specific play against Miami I think in 2010 that was kind of that Hard play fake, zone run, move the launch point, deep shot, touchdown to Jordy Nelson. I'm just like, you've done this before. He's like, this. it's totally overstated how much of a transition this is going to be. Mm-hmm. They, they have done all of this stuff during points in his career. It's been a while. Uh, I mean, it's been you know five, six years as they've transitioned to more shotgun. But this is all he told me was not about reprogramming your brain. It was just about recalling. And all of this stuff is in the depths of his football mind somewhere. It's just about kind of bringing it back and with someone who has that much talent and that much football acumen, I have all the faith in the world that he can bring it back. All right, let's build let's build an offense. All right, so why don't you start? So yeah. when we were having this discussion, what is the first thing that came to mind for you? Well, I, I think it's really easy to pick the low-hanging fruit. Is the best QB coach relationship in the NFL, and this is just offensively. We're not, let's, let's take Belichick and Brady out of the equation here yes. because we're just building the offense. So, I, I have as much respect as anybody about the Patriots. So don't a bunch of pay, every. If you don't, one of the things that's happened with the internet now, Robert, and you know this, is if you don't give 
if you don't mention the Patriots first when it comes to like team building or something, people just immediately just say, well, what about the Patriots? Um, so yes, we are acknowledging the Patriots are a very good team. We talk about them all the time. Now we're just building the offense. Is the best marriage of play calling and quarterback in Kansas City? Absolutely, yes, it is. But I think that to, to say, okay, I'd ra- I, I really want to see um, Mahomes and McVay's offense, whatever. I think that's that's kind of low hanging fruit for me. The number one thing you want to do right now is take advantage of what defenses present you, and that means everything over the middle of the field. And I think that that's even going to grow this year. I, I think that, um, you know, as defenses try to get more flexible and try to get more athletic, I still think there's huge opportunities over the middle of the field. Uh, I'm looking at the the stats here for throwing over the middle of the field. And do you know who had the best DVOA to the slot last year? I, I do not. I'm curious. Russell Wilson. So this is... That's funny that you mentioned him. We'll get to this. Because I, I'm not saying that Russell Wilson is my number one pick in an offensive draft. I'm just saying that he's really freaking good. And if you pair him with a really good coach who can exploit the middle of the field, and there's a couple of guys who have incredible DVOA over the middle. Mike Williams is one. It's not a surprise that Tyler Lockett is one because he is a huge reason that Russell Wilson is good over the middle of the field. Brandon Cooks is good. Cooper Cup is good. Robert Woods is good. Your boy Allen Robinson's not bad. Keenan Allen, Tyreek Hill. I mean, these are guys who who can really make moves in the middle of the field. And I think that is the biggest thing in football right now is taking advantage over the wide, wide gaps that defenses cannot cover. The rules have hamstrung them. I asked defensive backs, I asked linebackers over this entire camp tour, I just throw the question to them, what can defenses do to catch up? And half of them are like, nothing. Like, nothing. Yeah. We, we, we are ham... Change the rules. Get a good lobbying group. You can't put your hands on anybody anymore. The, the secret for 50, 60, 70 years of football was you couldn't go over the middle. You, would, you were liable to end up out of the game, out of the season, out of your career if you went over the middle of the field and now the Rams in 2017, Jared got through over the middle of the field, like in the slot, like 78% of the time. That's that's what they do. So that's why you bringing up the players is interesting to me because when I hear all of those names clustered together, I go straight to the scheme. No, I, I'm, I understand that. What I'm saying is the scheme I'm talking about is any scheme that takes advantage of all of the rules. That means Andy Reid because I mentioned the chiefs in that. That means, uh, the McVay situation, because you have both Robert Woods and Cooper Cup getting a lot of targets over the middle of the field. Yeah, I'm not saying it's scheme or players. I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson's an awesome quarterback. Mahomes is an awesome quarterback. But what I'm saying is you have to take everything into consideration. The first thing I would do is figure out a way to take advantage of the middle of the field. Done. And I think the way I would do that is I would just try to hire Kyle Shanahan to run my offense or have that type of offense. You know, I what the Chiefs did is amazing, and I think Mahomes is obviously such a blast and everything else. But I mean, I think I've made it well known that I, my favorite type of football is that Kubiak Shanahanian version of it, mm-hmm. where it's zone running, play action, and I the way I would build it is not the way the Rams built it. I like the varied personnel packages. I would have. I would make sure I found a guy who could play fullback for me. And you don't have to spend a lot of money on a guy like that. The 49ers did, but it's not necessary. 
you know, I think that CJ Ham in Minnesota is going to get a lot of work this year in two bag sets. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to catch a lot of balls. He's an athletic. I mean, that he's making $645,000 this year. You can fill that spot very cheaply. Yep. And I think that you can get well-rounded tight ends that aren't expensive. You know, guys like Gerald Everett, the Rams don't focus on their tight ends as much just because they have such three such good receivers. But I think Gerald Everett in a more tight end focused offense could be a really impressive player. And I think then you get, I can't decide when I was thinking about this, do I want one defined move tight end and one block t- blocking tight end? Or do I want to find two guys who can do both pretty well? And I don't know the answer to that. I think you can be a little bit more unpredictable if with the latter, but I also think it's harder to find those guys based on the players that are coming out of college. Yeah, that's for sure. But, but I, I, I would want a team that's really heavy on 12 personnel, that's really heavy on 21 personnel, that's all play action all the time. And, you know, guys, receiver-wise, you know, I think that you I absolutely want talent there. You know, if I was thinking about the way I wanted to spend my money, I, I think I would kind of skimp on the offensive line a little bit, similar to the way the Rams have done because they're able to kind of hide things with schemes so much because it slow down, slows down the pass rush. I mean, the Rams paid Rob Havenstein, but really in the middle of their offensive line is not expensive. You know, Saffold was getting a decent amount of money, but they let him go when he got really expensive. So I would try to skimp on the middle of the line a little bit, find a smaller athletic center that maybe would be underdrafted, and then you know, the receiver you'd probably want to spend a little bit because I just think that that's such an important position. But it would be way more about guys who understand how to get open outside of one burner. I think you need one burner, but for the most part, I think you can get guys that are a little less physically gifted and, again, save some money. But with the quarterback discussion, Russell Wilson is the guy I landed on to. Hey. For this reason, because I think he can play under center and in the shotgun. You know, we've seen him run some under center play action stuff in the past. I think he's really comfortable throwing on the move and moving. You know, that offense that Shanahan runs, you need a little bit of athleticism out of your quarterback. Because he's going to be moving the launch point. He's going to be, you know, rolling out, all that stuff. We obviously know Wilson has the athletic ability to do that. But also, you can kind of play around in the shotgun. I mean, we've seen him be that point guard just distributing the ball around late in that 2015 season. I think he has that ability. I just think he can do so many different things well. And I was talking to Cliff Kingsbury about this, and I thought it was such a fascinating point that he made. We are talking about shotgun out of – or play action out of shotgun versus under center. And he was telling me that he thinks shotgun under center or shotgun out of play action can be as effective, but you need a running quarterback. And he wasn't even talking about Kyler. He was actually referencing Lamar Jackson. He's like, I don't care if Lamar Jackson was in shotgun. You're reacting just as hard to those play fakes as you are to the Rams going under center because he's Mm -hmm. such a threat to run the ball. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Russell Wilson is. So I just think you can do so many different things of packaging that play action heavy scheme if Russell Wilson was your quarterback. Yeah, I'm I'm extremely pro Russell Wilson. I think that the heavy thing you've been talking about it for years. I came around to it last season. Extremely important. I think the backfield is going to become really, really, really important. Fullback is essentially just back as a position. The the Shanahan and McVeighs of the world, you know, in Green Bay, it seems like it might be more relevant in New England. James Devlin. New Orleans. New Orleans. Zach Klein plays a lot. Mm-hmm. But in, you know, I think that... The best teams, essentially. The, the best smartest teams, teams. The smartest teams have brought the fullback back. It was pretty much dead six, seven years ago. I remember that. Rex Ryan had two fullbacks, I remember. And everybody's like, this, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this isn't good. And uh, Brian Schottenheimer. Brian Schottenheimer was the offensive coordinator for that. 
Um, I mean, the, the, yeah, the, I mean, there was more 11 personnel with mm-hmm. three receivers on the field five years ago than there is now. For sure. Absolutely. And so I think the fullback position is going to be talked about a lot more this year. I think that, you know, one of the things that the analytics movement where they get misunderstood is people say running back doesn't matter. And and that isn't necessarily true. Running back and the running game matters. What doesn't matter is a specific running back you've invested a ton in. That's the actual exactly right. the actual backfield is extremely important. And we're gonna see that this year. You know where we're gonna see it? Freaking New England. I just got off the phone with someone a couple hours ago. And they were saying, you know, hey, we keep doing this yearly discussion. Well, who's the who's the Patriots receiver? Who's the Patriots receiver? And obviously, they'd love to have Gronk. They'd love to have Josh Gordon or whatever. But Belichick's just going to press the seams. He's going to go over the middle of the field to these running backs over and over again. They're going to figure it out. That's what he James does. White is going to be their number one James receiver. White and James Devlin. He's going to turn James Devlin into, into freaking Michael Thomas. <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, this, that's to me my favorite version of this. And you can do so much out of it. You know, it's not just, I think that these are, the problem is teams learn the wrong lessons, right? It's like, well, oh, yeah, well, that's the entire know, history of football. Yeah. And it's, so we, we talked about this in relation to the McVay thing. It's what I wrote this week. It's not about kind of painting by numbers and saying, all right, we got a guy that looks and sounds like Sean McVay. Let's fucking do this. And when you look at what the Patriots did, especially, you know, it's not just they have a fullback on the field. It's just that they're running all of their plays out of every formation with the fullback on the field. It's how they won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is the coolest part. And seeing teams like Dallas use that in practice and motion into empty formations when they have two backs on the field after what their offense looked like last year, that's encouraging. I feel like it's not a bad thing for more of these teams to start making innovative decisions. And if they're going to fail, at least try to fail in the right ways. All this... Talk about a million different people, Russell Wilson, all that. Patriots going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> they were off the table for this, though. I mean, Josh McDaniels, I wouldn't mind having him be my coach. If he was going to run the offense, I'm all set with that. I mean, I was supportive of the Colts' choice at that point. It clearly worked out for them. But again, I I think that that pairing him with your quarterback would probably be a good thing. He's Quinty done 10 a seconds. Hell of a good job Quinty over there. 10 seconds on what's going on with Andrew Locke right now? Sure. I, are you worried about it? Am I worried about a mystery injury that seems to have a new update every day? Yes, I am. Is, okay. Only in the sense that, you know, there's anything unknown I'm slightly worried about. Wasn't he not throwing footballs until like September 1st right. last year? Yeah, though? but that doesn't mean that, you know, the, 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 the history doesn't repeat itself exactly. History. Yeah, d- you're right. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. I think that's Mark Twain who was talking about Andrew Luck's injury. Um, but <laughs> I, I just, it, it is so strange. And one thing I just wish, Andrew Luck is one of my favorite players in football. And if he was fully healthy all the time, he would be unimaginably good. And I just hope that this isn't, you know, even if even if he starts throwing football again on September 1st and is Andrew Luck from 2018 and he's back. It's going to be a real tragedy if we never get to see him with full off seasons like every other quarterback gets uh, at full health, getting to play like Andrew Luck played a couple of years ago. I still, what's amazing about Andrew Luck is even going through all of this stuff, even the lacerated kidney. I mean, like every single year, 
he gives an interview in like November to Stephen Holder or Zach Kiefer that's like, oh man, it was way worse than you guys knew. Like every <laughs> single year. And it's like, I, 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 he's still a top 10 quarterback even with that. It's ama- he is amazing and I wish him health. I hope it works out because I'm really excited to watch that team this year. If he was hurt, it would just be such a bummer. I have one more question for you as it relates to the team building thing. I wrote about this maybe a month ago or so. If you had to start your offense with one receiver, who would it be? Man, that's a great question because it typically would be someone who does a lot with a little. And so like 2013, Josh Gordon would be the prototype for this, right? Where he just just crushed it with, with having crappy quarterbacks. I don't know who that is right now because you have Michael Thomas. He's got Drew Brees. You've got, you know, Keenan Allen. He's got Phillip Rivers. So it's who who's doing the most with the least right now? DeAndre. Ah, uh, well, I said DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins maybe, but but Deshaun Watson's quite good. He, he I'm used saying, to be that way. That's what I'm saying. I I understand that point, but I also think that that's kind of not the most important aspect of this. Yeah, this is a weird thing to say. I think DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver in the league. I think I think I agree. I, I wrote this, and I think I just feel like for this reason, this is why I, I wrote it, and this I stand by this. I just think when the ball is in the air, I have the most faith he's going to come mm-hmm. out with it. I mean, just the amount of it's not the spectacular catches; it's the quietly spectacular catches. The amount of balls he catches away from his frame, and he just makes it look so easy, is nuts. I mean, it's just really ridiculous how simple that seems from him when other guys are going to be fighting themselves. That being said, if I was starting an offense, I'd still pick Julio. Mm. Because I just think he does the most stuff. I feel like you can line Julio up in the slot. I think he's a deep threat. I think he, I just feel like there's so many different aspects to his game. So I think right now in their current situations for the 2019 season, I think DeAndre Hopkins is a more valuable wide receiver as a pass catcher. But I just think in terms of if I was building the structure of my offense, I would rather have Julio Jones. That may seem like those are incongruous with one another, but I, in my mind, it makes sense. What are you going to do by, uh, November when the answer is James Devlin. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess just start reporting all my pre-Patriot Super Bowl stories. Like we should start doing that in October now rather than January. I'm just checking this out right now. Where can I see receptions for him? I had one in the playoffs. <laughs> he doesn't catch the ball very 12, often. 12 right? receptions in 2018. <laughs> I know you're really excited about this, but he may line up at receiver, but they ain't throwing it to No, him he's not much. actually going to line up at receiver. They're just going to they're going to go two but, two but in he the does backfield that, though. back there. Yeah, no, no. He I, does line up as receiver. No, I'm saying that he's not going to he had he had 17 targets last year. And that will increase to 150. So with the receiver conversation, who you'd pick? I, I mean, obviously I think Julio. I think I think Hopkins. Right I think Hopkins. I mean, listen, man, the Michael Thomas completion percentage thing is outrageous. He's really good. I I know that you can say it's scheme and quarterback, but that's really impressive. His game is really impressive. I love him, and I just think he does so many things well. Like you said, navigating the middle of the field, he has such a good understanding of zone leverage and everything else and where to settle. He's fantastic at contested catches up the sideline when they do use him that way. I just, and again, we're nitpicking here. Mike Evans. I'd throw Mike Evans out there. Mike Evans should be in this conversation. I think he has gotten to the point where he's a little bit underrated. I would not be surprised at all if he led the NFL in receiving in yards for wide receivers this year. 
he'd obviously honestly be my pick if I was picking somebody. But with with uh, Thomas, it's if we're nitpicking, we should when we get to this level. I just the lack of just pure explosive athleticism is why he wouldn't be there for me. I just don't think he can stretch the field where a guy like Julio can. Where are you on Juju? I think Juju is a good player. I think this could be a good test. Now that he's the guy where that's the focal point, now that safeties are going to be rolling to him, everything else, I think he's going to be good. The one thing I will say, I don't know, and I, and we're, I think Beckham is, it, it's Beckham, ridiculous to me yeah. that like we're not expecting Beckham to have fifteen hundred yards and twelve touchdowns this year. Like it, he's going to. It, he has. Mm. He was incredible. He was the I most agree. exciting player in the NFL with Eli Manning, <laughs> and now he's with Baker Mayfield. Yeah. But my point. My point was, I don't know how many wide receivers I would go through before I landed on George Kittle. If oh, I was, was this a whole thing, a George Kittle, offense. a George Kittle thing. No, it didn't okay. start that way. It didn't start that way. Wait, I just want to say that uh, if he was healthy, had a helmet, and um, <laughs> I wonder, how, wonder where this one's going. If he had a working helmet that's less than 10 years old mm. and he's fully healthy, Antonio Brown is amazing as a player. Yes, he is. I, I, and, uh, but the, the thing with Antonio Brown, though, it's kind of why I knocked him down when I wrote that, is that we had never seen him without Ben Roethlisberger. And I think that oh, we're, connection we're was We're going to see it now. Well, I mean, we did know, see it. We, did, we saw him with Landry Jones. <laughs> We did. Yeah, those two game stretches that the, the uh, Listen, Steelers man. offense was clicking on all cylinders during those. I think weeks. he did pretty well. I feel like with Kittle, and to me, it would honestly be a discussion between Kittle and Kelsey with which tight end I would want first. Mm-hmm. I would probably land on Kittle just because I think he's a devastating blocker. You know, he's not Gronk because no one is, but I think he's the closest thing when it comes to having both aspects of his game. You know, this isn't a fantasy football conversation. Travis Kelsey is going to probably lead tight ends in fantasy scoring because he plays on the Chiefs. But if we're building a team from scratch, there's I probably would rather have Kittle right now than Travis Kelsey. I think that's accurate. I think that's accurate. Right? I think that I think they're both really good. But yeah, yeah. I, Again, I think we're nitpicking here at the top. We're nitpicking. This is we're we're at least having a take because in our who would you take as a wide receiver conversation, we named every good wide receiver. I picked Julio. Okay. I, I, my, I definitively. I, I didn't know Julio. we were we were veering off into that, so I didn't pick anybody. I didn't know we were, we were veering off into it either. But I think it's part of the building an offense discussion, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you can. I also think you can scheme up receivers in a way. You, so I, go ahead. I agree with you. That's why I was saying the gating open thing. I think that I right. would rather I would value that more so than like fi- really physically gifted guys. I don't know if I'd go super high end with the receiver if I you know you gave me a salary cap. I'd have to really think about it. Well, the Saints don't operate that way, buddy. No, they nor does Jerry. Nor does nor does Jerry Jones. <laughs> all right, that's all we got for today, guys. I am about to head off to the Jacksonville Jaguars Philadelphia Eagles preseason game. Uh, Kevin is. What are you doing today? Going boxing. What's Thursday night? I'm gonna go boxing. Nice. That sounds good. I can't wait to be home and eat some lettuce and actually work out a little bit. It's going to be great. All right. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys.